From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be, right here, right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Welcome to today's show. We are visiting today with Dr. Pim van Lommel. Now, he's an internationally renowned Dutch author and researcher in the field of near-death studies, and he's offered this groundbreaking research into whether or not our consciousness survives the death of our body. Now, a little background about Dr. van Lommel. He studied medicine at the Utrecht University, specializing in cardiology, and he worked as a cardiologist for 26 years, and he's the author, which is the subject of our conversation today of the book Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience. And for those of you who are online and listening online, you can go to Amazon. You can really go where any books are sold to pick up this book. And his name is spelled Pim, P-I-M, Van, V-A-N, Lommel, L-O-M-M-E-L. And you can get this book on Kindle for $8.99 and on paperback for $13.71 as of today. And for those of you playing along at home, we have not been paid to endorse our guest today. We actually came across his book, became big fans, watched him online, invited him on. Now it's 9 o'clock in the Netherlands right now. So welcome, Dr. Or is it 6 o'clock, Dr. Van Lommel? What time is it there? 6 o'clock. It's 6 o'clock. Well, welcome to the show. We're here with Linda Franklin and friend Lanzetta. And we have so many questions to ask you. I think I'm going to go to Linda first. So, Linda. Linda, you can open the roundtable discussion. That's wonderful. Thanks, Sandra. <clears throat> I'm so I'm so pleased to be talking to you because I feel like I know you because I've I've looked at so many of your videos <laughs> online and they have been terrific. And I, you know, I'm tr- I read the book and um, I'm trying to get into all of the research which we will do in the show. But I just have a personal question: Is has the experience of following all the NDE patients that you you know gone through the years with changed you personally and your outlooks on death and and life. Of course it did. <laughs> when you talk to so many people uh, who had an NDE who shared the NDE with me and having received thousands of emails from all over the world, um, I, I was telling, I'm always telling that the people with an NDE had been my greatest teachers. So Dr. Van Lommel, I had an NDE when I had my first child. I bled out. Um, and I didn't want to come back. And I was really mad when the nurses woke me up. And I didn't tell anybody for the longest time. And I was so grateful for you and Dr. PMH Atwater for your work because I really thought I was losing my mind. I really thought, you know, when I went there, Dr. Van Lommel, I tra- kept trying to see my hands. You know, I was in this really bright white place talking, this big bright light. And it was so beautiful. And it and I, I was so excited because years later I read the words, the definition of the Holy Spirit, and it said the breath of God. And I felt at that point, I would like the universe was breathing with me, and me being the egghead, I kept trying to see my hands. I couldn't see my hands. And um, 
to have your work done so diligently and to talk about the beliefs and how your beliefs change after was really profound for me and very, very validating. Okay, thanks a lot. The yeah. Breath of God, that was uh, said by Pamela Reynolds. It is, you know, and it's it's so hard, Dr. Van Lommel, because there's not words to describe. We don't have the right words today to describe what happens. And, you know, I kind of had mentioned a little bit to the nurse, and she just kind of rolled her eyes and was like, oh, well, that was the anesthesia. You know, you were out. You really gave us a run for your money. Um, and there was such shutdown in that. So I'm so grateful for books like yours that have brought these things forward so that we can have conversations about near-death experiences and how our consciousness changes um, or how we change after as we awaken to this consciousness. Now, we're here today with Fred Lanzetta, who's also had an NDE. Fred, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, It's exciting to be here. And uh, like everyone else, I'm very thankful for uh, Dr. Lomel's work. Mm -hmm. And it's been uh, very helpful and confirming when you have uh, challenges and experiences that we really don't have a framework for in our culture. Um, so it's very exciting. And in your book, I, if it's okay to ask, I had oh, one specific, uh, well, I have many questions, but perspective versus retrospective? Is that the correct way to talk about your approach to with your research? Yeah. Well, what we did in the Netherlands was a prospective study in 344 survivors of cardiac arrest. And prospective means that you start with the, the question, if it could be an explanation about the cause and content of the NDE. Retrospective study means that you ask patients who had an NDE in the past if they could remember and how they changed. But it is a problem that when you do a retrospective study, you have a huge selection of patients, but only the patients who can talk or try to talk about the NDE will answer. And people are still silent about it, will not come to your study. So retrospective studies give a huge selection of patients, and it is a very problem, huge problem to find out what exactly the medical situation was in the past. So in a prospective study, you know exactly when you study patients with a cardiac arrest, then you know that all patients have been clinical death, which means that they have been unconscious because of lack of oxygen in the brain due to the cardiac arrest, There's no circulation, no breathing. And we know also that this kind of patients who have who are clinical death will die within five to ten minutes if you don't initiate CPR. So it's the it's the process of dying people. And when you study these kind of patients, you can also ask questions about what is the relationship between consciousness and the brain, because I learned in university that consciousness is a product of brain function. But when you are have a cardiac arrest, your brain function ceases within 15 to 20 seconds. And there are no brainstem reflexes, no body reflexes, you are unconscious, and the EEG flatlines in 10 to 20 seconds. So and then still can people can talk about an enhanced consciousness with the possibility of perception out and above your lifeless body or having a life review or meeting diseased relatives, seeing a light of a being of light 
and um, some time to flash forward, meeting a border, and then, which is awful for most people, conscious return back into the body with the pain, etc. Um, so, um, in a perspective study, you can really um, tell about or ask questions about the cause and content of the NDE. Very fascinating and, and very specific, the, the contrast. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's, it, it's a very pleased that I can talk to people who had an NDE now here <laughs> in this show. It's wonderful. I didn't know that. Well, we always try to surprise you. And I think one of the biggest surprises, you know, and, and Fred was little when he had his, but I was 30, I was in my 30s, Dr. Van Lommel. And the one thing when you talked about going back in your body, it is not a gentle experience. I oh. felt... Like, it, like you know when you hit the brakes on your car really hard and your whole body jerks, like, you know, the seatbelt yanks you back and it's very violent. I was really surprised that when I was leaving my body, it was so beautiful. It was effortless and I could see this is the reason that I knew something weird happened because I was floating up on the wall of the labor and delivery room and they had taken my son out premature and I had hemorrhage and my kid peed all over the nurses and they all went back and laughed that he peed on them. Well, there was no way I could see that because of where the two tables were, and I was draped, and I had that screen thing. And the nurse, when she said, how did you know he peed on everybody? And I said, well, I saw him, but I saw it from up above. And you exactly. talked about that in your book. Um, yeah. Go ahead. What you tell me is so wonderful because it's the classical elements you tell and uh, the first thing is what you said also it, it's an ineffable experience there are no words for it so you find words based on your uh, education uh, based on your religion based on your culture and children will use different words as adults and christian will use different words as atheists or buddhist so it's always a subjective experience but the elements people try to talk about are universal have been told in all times and all cultures and all religions always now dr van lama we're about to go to commercial break we've got a couple of minutes um what inspired you to write your book what what was the impetus for you to start studying this and put this together well the main thing was for me it was uh, scientific curiosity because the moment i had read a book about the death experiences by George Ritchie, Return from Tomorrow, who had an NDE as a medical student in 1943. It was the scientific curiosity that we wanted to start this prospective study in the Netherlands in 10 Dutch hospitals to understand why it is possible that people can have these kind of experiences. Thank you. We're going to go to commercial break right now. Uh, we're talking today with Dr. Pim Van Lommel. Now, you're going to want to get a copy of his book because it's fascinating. And if you've had a near-death experience or you wonder if you have, I would suggest getting a copy of his book because we 
need to be validated. We need to understand what happened to us. You're not crazy. You're not, it wasn't the anesthesia. It wasn't all these things, you know, that I was told. And when you read his research and you hear your story told over and over and over again, I really encourage you, if you're questioning, go ahead and get a copy of his book, Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience. We have not been paid to endorse this book. This is something that Fred, Linda, and I came across and we really enjoyed. It's clear. It's well-written. We'll be back after the break with Dr. Pim Van Lommel, Fred Lanzetta, and Linda Franklin. This is Sandra Beck. Stay with us. We've got lots more ahead. We'll be right back. Gifts make gladden girls, but they seem to burden guys. That's what a recent study by Live Science says. Women respond with happy gratitude when they receive a present. But when a man unwraps a gift, he immediately feels a sense of obligation to the giver. Even those women who really don't like getting presents are pretty good at faking a smile. What do you call a person who fakes a smile? An exodesiast. According to psychologists, men tend to keep mental notes of what they got from whom and check it against their own generosity. Women, on the other hand, take gift-giving much less seriously. I guess ever since Eve gave Adam the apple, there has been trouble between sexes about gifts. Have you ever unwrapped a G-Food jet? That's another name for any gift you'd just rather put in the garbage. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. article in Mental Floss magazine listed some actual town names in the United Kingdom that are sure to bring a chuckle to American tourists. Would you like to live in the village of Upton Snodsbury? It's near North Piddle. How about Pickle Church in lovely South Gloucestershire? Or Barton and the Beans in Curry Mallet? How about a vacation in Mudford Sock? Or Puddletown, an adorably named spot in Dorset? But my favorite town is found in Buckinghamshire. It's called Blubber Houses. I'd like to send a big thank you to all of the brave men and women of our armed forces serving at home and abroad. We appreciate all the good you do in the world on behalf of America. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. We're having a great discussion. Let's get back to it. Welcome back. We're here with Linda Franklin, Fred Lanzetta, and Dr. Pim Van Lommel. The book today we're talking about is Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience. You can get it on Kindle for $8.99, paperback $13.71 on Amazon. We are visiting today with the concept of these NDEs, these near-death experiences. And I have a feeling, especially with what's going on in the U.S., uh, Dr. Van Lommel, I do a lot of work with our uh, military 
military, with our United States military, and the battlefield attrition rates, you know, have gone down, and we're we're saving a lot more people than we had in wars past. So I would imagine that near-death experience is going to be more common as our life-saving procedures, especially our battlefront life-saving procedures, continue to improve, and we have people that we have brought back. Do you find, and then we're going to go to Linda, do you find that as the medical procedures have increased in efficacy that more and more people are having these experiences? Is it a question to me? To you. Yeah, sorry, I know I, I use a lot of words. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure that we, we usually don't remember, don't realize anymore that the first CPR was possible with defibrillation, external chest uh, compression 50 years ago. So Ooh. before 1967, all patients died with cardiac arrest. So since the last 50 years, we have more and more patients who survive from cardiac arrest. And also there's better treatment for patients who have uh, cerebral trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but still, a lot of people who have experienced an NDE keep silent because they cannot believe it themselves. They're not believed. Physicians, nurses, family members don't believe them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's still a huge problem, also in the Netherlands. It's going better because I'm positive about the younger generation. I lecture a lot for medical students and psychology students. But my generation still is very reluctant to be open to these kind of experiences, to be open to listen with an open mind, without prejudice to patients who had an NDE. And in in the army, I think it's it's another problem that real strong people should yes. not talk about these kind of experiences. So they're extremely reluctant to share it with mm -hmm. others. Yes, there's a lot of stigma attached to it. Exactly. I think so, too. So, but it also, uh, IONS USA, with Diana Cochran, has written a lot for patients, for patients who had been soldiers, who had been uh, in uh, uh, Afghanistan and then Vietnam and, and, mm -hmm. and Iraq, a lot of soldiers must have had an NDE and are so reluctant to share it. Absolutely, absolutely. I've done shows on that with our military. Um, but it's all one-sided. You know, we provide the information so we can comfort and validate and support the experience. But I don't, I mean, very rarely do I get any feedback back, anything positive. Uh, because I always say that the death experience, the content is wonderful, but it is a spiritual trauma. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot share it with others. And most people have years of depression and homesickness and, and loneliness because they are not able to share it. So they cannot accept it themselves, let alone others. And you have to integrate your new insight in your life. You can only integrate when you can accept it yourself and people can accept it. Well, and they I love Share it, yeah. I loved what you said about the divorce rate in there, because one of the things that my ex-husband <laughs> um, said, you know, after is, it, I drove him nuts, Dr. Von Lommel, because before the NDE, I was very type A driven, you know, I had, I'm highly educated, went to Northwestern, have my master's in business, and everything was go, 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 and it was about material acquisition, all this stuff, and then after, 
I became all about, like, he used to call me Pollyanna. You know, I was about love and about friendship and about it's so important to, to just be together and all this stuff doesn't matter. It's just it's just nothing. This stuff is nothing. And it would drive him bananas. And I think it really did drive a big wedge in our marriage because I went from type A businesswoman to Pollyanna and was very different before and after. Well, uh... The, what, what I know, it's about 70% of patients, people who have an NE, get a divorce. Because mm-hmm. the partner said, it's not the same person as right. before. And it is because of the transformation. The transformation are three aspects. First is, you release the fear of death. Death doesn't exist. Death seems to be no death at all. Mm-hmm. Second is, a new insight of what is important in life, which is unconditional love of compassion mm-hmm. first towards yourself accept mm-hmm. yourself who you are with your negative aspects and compassion and love towards others and towards nature because you are connected and feel connected with other people with nature with the planet earth so it's the interconnectedness you experience and that is the third aspect is the enhanced intuitive sensitivity that means you have access to the feelings and uh, thoughts of other people beyond time and beyond space what I technical call is a non-local information exchange. You know from people on a distance what they're thinking or feeling. You know that people will die. You know that people are sick, etc. And it is frightening for most people in the beginning. And loud. (laughs) (laughs) It was loud. It felt like everybody's energy, everybody's thoughts, everybody's feelings. And it was very hard for me, Dr. Van Lommel, to be in groups of people because it was too much. It was like a movie theater that was too bright, too loud and too intense. Yes, you cannot stand loud noises anymore. And, and that's especially for, for children. Under the age of four, when children have an ND, they usually don't know anymore about the content of the ND. We all have to change the transformation. Mm-hmm. And especially, they're so sensitive. So they look for silence. They look for nature. They love classical music. They don't play with other children as well. So they, they cannot... Uh, accept loud noises and loud voices Fred do you find the same experience that was me and it was me growing up and it was me that you know all the family stories from all my aunts and uncles you know when being at a holiday uh, Christmas Eve where they'd say when I was an infant where I just couldn't be around and would not stop crying It was it was just too intense. Um, I wasn't conscious of it uh, at a young age, but the unfolding of the uh, experiences or attributes, for lack of a better word, uh, the causes, um, just kind of unfolded and kept unfolding. And there was no framework of a culture. Luckily, I had very special parents that were uh, very open and supportive. And that's why I'm here today, able to speak and listen to with all of you. And it's quite special and extraordinary to be able to go to an IANDS um, conference and pick up a book like yours. Okay. And and I gave it as gifts for my family members (laughs) so that they could understand me more and uh, and other people in their lives. 
I, I know a lot of people give the doctor, the physician, my book, to yes. explain because they know words for it. I have a question to you, Fred. What was the age that you got your NDE? I I actually had an experience where my when I was an adult, um, probably only about three months before my mom passed, she was dropping me off at the train oh. station. We were sitting alone in her car, mm-hmm. and she put her hand on my arm. And she said, I need to share something, and I don't know if I did the right thing. And she said, one of my children um, had anoxia and died during childbirth, um, and then they came back and I never told them. And she was shaking when she was telling me this. Mm. And I smiled at her, and I didn't even want to know. I didn't ask which one of it was, because I'm the youngest of five. And I said, all your children are healthy, they're happy, they're living full lives. Yes, you did the right thing. And I could feel this huge lifelong burden uh, literally lift from her body. Mm-hmm. And she passed away about less than two or three months after that. It was one of our last very intimate uh, conversations. And I, I had the fortune enough to be friend Sandra or, or one of our hosts today, and she gave me this book, and it <laughs> it just changed me. And I was reading about myself, <laughs> and it was quite it was quite a, an extraordinary experience to be able to say, "Wow, this there's people that have gone through this, there's people that have experienced this." Uh, but I wasn't conscious of it. But the unfolding my whole life. And then the knocking on the culture and the doors is was just very loud. <laughs> but I had very supportive and loving parents. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Wonderful. <laughs> well, I think oh, it's important, Fred, because we you actually tracked it backwards. You know, like for me, it was obvious the before and after the experience. But you had all these after effects that were puzzling to you for for decades, and then you deconstructed it after the conversation with your mother. You had a had a had a I don't know deconstruct is the right word. But sure, I went backwards. You sort of had a you had a, an experience, but your experience was very, very different. Um, and and that's why I, I'm thankful, even for you, that you shared your experience with me and you shared uh, the books with me. And and I did. I kind of did. I went the long way, <laughs> <laughs> but I got here. And I learned to integrate all this and appreciate it and embrace it with, with friends like Linda. Mm. You know, it's it's been a wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful journey. But I didn't know, and uh, it wasn't uh, explained to me. Uh, it was explained to me where I'd go to my parents with stories, and they would say, you know, uh, talk to me, but don't tell anyone outside the family. You know, there was this um, acknowledgement and honoring, uh, but not a, um, a macro viewpoint, which we have today. And that's why we're thankful for you, Doctor, because of that. There's a macro view, you know. I always ask people who are very enhanced intuitive, if they, what about your childbirth, if it was complicated? Because usually when they have the enhanced intuitive sensitivity, it's based on an NDE under the age of four or at birth. 
I'm going to take us to commercial break. We're going to talk more about this because there are people who have had this experience and they're unaware of it, and we want to be able to help them deconstruct it. We're here with Dr. Pim Van Lommel, his book, Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience. We'll be back after the break. Stay with us. We've got lots more ahead. We'll be right back. Halloween is almost here, and the Scarecrows, or Tatty Dooleys as the Scottish call them, are out. But Halloween is all about trick-or-treating, and that means candy. The average American eats 24 pounds of candy a year, and most of that consumption occurs around Halloween. What do you call a person who loves to eat? A grand gosier. Popular costumes for this year are happy face and wink face emojis. Of course, since it's a presidential election year, there are various costume choices for those who wish to dress up as Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton or Republican candidate Donald Trump. If you ask me, the only thing scarier than Halloween this year is the presidential election. What's another word for the fear of Halloween? Sam Hainophobia. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Pediatrics published a study that said by following three easy healthy habits, we can lower the risk of childhood obesity. Implementing three family habits, eating dinner together, making sure kids get enough sleep, and limiting TV can help. The combination of these three habits is associated with a lower risk of obesity in children. According to a new study, the study found that children who ate dinner with their families more than five times a week slept for at least 10.5 hours a night and watched less than two hours of TV a day were 40% less likely to be obese than children who did none of those things. Keeping kids active and moving along with these habits will keep the weight off and the energy going. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. We're having a great discussion. Let's get back to it. here today with Dr. Pim Van Lommel, the author of Consciousness Beyond Life, the Science of the Near-Death Experience. And what's kind of interesting is I met Fred through Linda. Linda's like, you know, the, the center of the universe with, with a lot of this stuff. And uh, Linda and I became friends, then I met Fred, and we all seem to be orbiting around Linda. There's many of us that have had these NDEs, and we didn't communicate with each other until the door opened with Linda. Linda, I think, is the, the, the consummate, the bridge or the door opener to many of us so that we can have these conversations. Linda, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put the mic over to you. Yeah, Sandra, I think that, you know, you've said it. Um, I have never had an NDE experience to my knowledge. You know, I guess in birth, you, you know, unless you were told, you wouldn't know. But I haven't had the same experiences that you and Fred um, and others that have had this experience um, have had. But I seem to be a magnet for NDEs because I said Fred and, and Sandra. And I have about 10 other people in my life that have all had the experience. Um, and they 
I sometimes I just ask people have they've ever had that experience and I, I always get back yes I have and then they they open up and they talk about it and um, I you know it just makes me feel so good um, and what my goal is is to have had some of the experiences that my friends have had and that you talk about in the book without have having, having the NDE and it's all about raising your consciousness or that's my belief that it's all about raising your consciousness to know that there's more than what we see in front of our, our face and um, so I'm just exploring all of this and um, if you have any thoughts on that I'd love to hear them Well first of all I think you're open minded and you have I think that as a child, did you also have the enhanced intuitive sensitivity? No. 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 Not as you were aware of, because you you seem to be so sure that you didn't have an NDE yourself. How can you be so sure? I I'm not, um, and I know my mom had to be in bed nine months um, in order to to have me because she had two uh, ectopic pregnancies before me, um, so. I don't know about if again I was never told but I know that I don't have the same um, insights that that my other friends that have had these experiences have had I'm very interested in them I believe them I've always believed them I never doubt anything anybody's ever told me because I know in my heart that it's it's the truth um, I'm maybe I'm just blocking it I don't know you seem to be very intuitive when you yes. ask people, did you have an NDE, that they say yes, and then that means that you had an inner knowing that mm -hmm. had an NDE. So you are intuitive. And that's why I said, how can you be so sure that you didn't have an NDE as a child or as a baby? <laughs> I, well, I, and I, I'm just going to chime in here, because Linda will always tell me sometimes, like if she coughs or something, she has these memories of choking, she has memories of, or drowning, what is it, Linda, there's something, choking. and I always thought those two were connected. Yeah, I don't know, maybe I was born with, with, with a cord around my neck, I don't know, but the choking thing, um, for me and for others, if someone starts to choke instinctively, I, you know, I just grab, I just jump out of the chair uh, because I, I go into immediate panic, and I don't know where it's from because it's not from this lifetime, or maybe it's a birth trauma. I don't know. All of this is such a mystery, but you know what? It's so exciting to to delve into all of it and and find out so much more about yourself. What is important for you is that you're open, that you're interested, that you want to change your unconscious, that you want to grow, and that you are interested in people with an And that's the only important thing there is. Right. So enjoy your curiosity and yes, enjoy. I am, I am yeah. enjoying it. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's important. I think we need people like you in our society. We have to change our own consciousness to change the society as well. Well, we have to borrow, you know, I talk about a lot about borrowing faith in something, you know, borrowing faith in something till you find your own. And for people who haven't had an NDE, you know, I will talk to people, especially people towards end of life. You know, when my mom was dying, my mom died of breast cancer after a long, a long battle. So we talked a lot about what was coming next. And she would say things to me like, I'm just going to be in the next room. And, and, you know, the body dies, but the, the soul, the spirit it doesn't you're still
still who you are. And I don't know how she knew any of this. She just told me from, you know, we had hours and hours of conversation from her deathbed, if you will, um, about the afterlife, about how consciousness lives on. And, you know, if you go into great theology, you know, you, 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 it's no mystery. There's the life ever after it's in, in three of the great religions. It has been told in all religions and all times. Plato has said about it in the Middle Ages has been said. And a lot of people in the end stage of, of illness have this deathbed vision or end of life experiences, like you tell me now about your mother. And it, it's an inner knowing yes. that there, there is a continuity of consciousness. It's not the end. Death is the end of your body. But death is not the end of your consciousness. So there's a continuity of consciousness because we have a body, and we are consciousness. We are conscious, uh, uh, always conscious. Before birth and after death, we are conscious. Well, and I just want to put it in layman's terms for kind of what it looks like and feels like. You're still you. Like, this is the thing, you know, um, Dr. I'm going to call you Dr. P. Dr. P, you're still you after your body's not there anymore. You know, when I was telling you about, like, trying to look at my hands, I still had my goofy sense of humor. I still felt like myself. I just wasn't this, this body, this meat suit, this whatever we're wearing anymore. I was still me. And I... But I didn't miss here. Like, that was the one thing I didn't miss at all. It wasn't like I was longing to find out if I had a baby. It wasn't like I was longing for anything here. It was so nice there. It was so beautiful. I didn't want to leave. But I was still me. Yes. The essence of who you are is your consciousness. And when you are in your body, your waking consciousness, that's just your ego. But when you're out of your body during an NDE, then you're much more than you, than your, uh, which I would like to call is your higher self. It's much more, you have, your consciousness enhanced, you have access to all your memories, your back, your life, your time and space, when you have uh, attention to, to some place or somebody, you will be there. And also future events are there. So it's, it's, uh, it's an, what we call a non-local non consciousness. It's beyond time beyond space everything is connected always and it's pure unconditional love there and also wisdom you get answers to your questions before you ask the question well and i got answers for my mom which was really weird because i was there and i was talking i called it the triangle person because he looked like this big tall triangle light and he was really everything was really really bright but it didn't hurt my eyes bright it wasn't like sunlight it was just really 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 bright and it was expanding and contracting that's where i was thinking about the breath of god and he whoever this person was and i kept thinking maybe it's my grandpa i never met them so i didn't know but he told my mom everything was going to be okay it's all going to unfold as it should it will and that she's loved and that it's fine and my mom was the product of an affair and had a very traumatic childhood and she carried a lot with her and um after that i found all her brothers and sisters on the internet that she didn't even know she had but there was this message of peace for her and 
there was also like, and then I'll shut up because I could talk about this for hours, but I knew I couldn't go any farther. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't a wall, there wasn't any like demarcation line, but I knew if I went, I wasn't supposed to go over here. I had to stay where I am. And then I was really mad when they told me I had to go back. Like it wasn't, it wasn't my time and I could only go so far. And I really wanted to know what was on that other side, but I wasn't allowed to go there. I was stopped. And then when they said I couldn't, it wasn't my time. I still had things to do. And I know they told me what I was supposed to do, but I can't remember it. Then I like chunked back into my body. You still had a task to fulfill. And perhaps what you're doing now is this task. Talk about it. Yeah. Could be. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I wish I could remember that one. Linda, <laughs> Linda, go ahead. Um, Dr. P, I like that, Sandra. I'm going to call him Dr. P as well, (laughs) because we're very informal here. We're all friends. Um, Now that books like yours have been written and this higher consciousness idea is all over the Internet now, I mean, with tapes and books and conversations and websites, do you feel that maybe the consciousness of the masses is being raised because it's, it's out there all the time now? Or is it? Are we still stuck in the old paradigm that you know seeing is believing? Well, the old paradigm is is disappearing a little bit, little by little. I think we need a new paradigm in science as well. The current science is materialistic science, and consciousness. You cannot prove it with materialistic science. You cannot prove it. You cannot measure it. You cannot. Um, uh, duplicate it, you cannot falsify it, just consciousness as it is there is beyond materialist science. So we have to change science, we have to change the paradigm in science to include consciousness research. But still a lot of people are very reluctant because we learn on schools, we learn on universities that consciousness is just a product of the brain. And with this concept, uh, which is a dogma, now, it's impossible to explain people with who have an ND in cardiac arrest or deep coma. So uh, we have to change the paradigm. I think young people are more open for it. What I told you, I got a lot of invitation from all over the world, especially also for medical students, hospitals, hospices, terminal care people um, who are open for it. So I'm very positive it will change, but it is a slow process. Max Planck, the founder of quantum physics once said that a new idea is only accepted when the old generation has died. Right. And so we, we need time for it, but I'm positive it will change. You know, but what I'm thinking is is doctors like you, you know, because the world, you know, honors your credentials and your studies and your brilliance and other, you know, and doctors that have actually had NDEs and other people that people know um, because of the, their accomplishments in their life, are now talking about this, it kind of gives it more credibility so that the naysayers now can turn, you know, you can give them this book and say, hey, this guy is, is a brilliant doctor, he's a cardiologist, he's, he's believing that, um, and others, so what's, what's the deal? Why can't you believe it? Why is it so scary to believe it? Linda, I'm going to take us to commercial break. We're going to hear more from uh, Dr. P after the break. The book today is Consciousness Beyond Life, the Science of the Near-Death Experience. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this with Dr. P and Fred and Linda. We'll be back after the break. 
Stay with us. We've got lots more ahead. We'll be right back. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velazzi's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velazzi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. This is the Tokinet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's Marching There are more cats in U.S. households than any other pet. Most allurophiles or cat owners know that unlike dogs, taking Kitty for a ride in the car isn't any fun. I mean, you never see a cat hanging its head out the window, enjoying the breeze. Today's domestic cat is descended from a small Mid-Eastern wildcat. A group of kittens is called a kindle, and a group of adult cats is a clouder. What's the word for those dust balls composed entirely of cat hair? Pluffernugans. Personally, I like pigs better than either cats or dogs. Dogs are subservient and look up to man. Cats are aloof and look down on man. A pig, however, will look you in the eye and see as equal. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're having a great discussion. Let's get back to it. We're here today with Dr. Pim Von Lommel, Linda Franklin, and myself, Sandra Beck, along with Fred Lanzetta in New York City. We're talking about the near-death experience. And Linda, you talk a lot about the fear around accepting this new paradigm, which really isn't very new after all. It's in the Bible, it's in the Quran, it's in many um, different, different belief systems around the world. It's nothing new, but we seem to have in this culture a difficulty embracing this go ahead yeah basically that's it um and with more doctors uh coming out with these kind of studies and doctors and other you know business people that have had ndes and are talking about them and they're you know they're not flakes i mean these are respected people why are why are people still so resistant to thinking that this is possible 
Well, it's a very important question. I, 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 don't, I, I think you know about Evan Alexander, yes. the neurosurgeon from Harvard who had the ND in coma. And he was open about it. I've met him even several times before his book came out. And he was rather brave. But you know how he was attacked in the press by yes. everybody. Yeah. That it was nuts, it was impossible, etc. And also when you have an NDE yourself, you know that it's so hard to share it with others because it's an ineffable experience. And the transformation is it, your new worldview doesn't fit in what other people think. It, money isn't important anymore. It's about love, it's about nature. So it's not accepted. And I know quite a lot of scientists and physicians who had an NDE and tell me and uh, just secretly share it with me. They don't, they don't talk about it openly. And, and I also know a lot of uh, scientists who have a private opinion about the NDE that they are still more open. But officially, they say mm -hmm. it's social nuts and nonsense because they lose the position, they lose the research money, they lose... So it's, it's in this materialistic society and competitive society, it's not done to talk about these kind of things. So you're thrown out of the society as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really fear because um, your worldview totally changes. Mm -hmm. So when you have to accept it, your whole worldview changes. And, and a lot of people are afraid of it. They lose your partner, they lose your friends, you lose your family, you lose... So you lose so many things, but you get new friends and new partner, etc. So there's a positive aspect. But it's hard work. It's a trauma. And, and NDE is a spiritual trauma. Do you have a specific uh, experience uh, with an NDE that sort of knocked your socks off? Like, do you have a favorite? Yes, well, well, when we published our study, prospective study, and a long-term study in The Lancet in December 2001, the, the editors asked me to give an example, and I did. And I also write about it in my, uh, in my book. There was a 44-year-old man who had a cardiac arrest uh, somewhere in the meadow and people found him unconscious and they just started kind of CPR but not quite adequately and he was brought into hospital in the coronary care unit after about 30 minutes and he was already cold, his body was blue, he had fixed pupils, no breathing, no heartbeat, no circulation etc. And the first thing that the, the nurse wanted to do is to intubate the patient to give him more oxygen. Then he found out that he had dentures in his mouth, so he took the upper dentures out and put them somewhere on the crash cart. And then they continued uh, for about CPR for about one and a half hour. He was young, so they tried to get him back. And yet, after one and a half hour, he had circulation again. Uh, but, and blood pressure again, but he was still in coma. So he was um, transferred to the intensive care unit to continue artificial respiration. For more than one week, he was still in coma. When he regained consciousness, he was brought back to the cardiac ward. And he was still just there, back, and the nurse came in to give medication patients. And he saw the nurse and he said, oh, you know where my dentures are. And the nurse was so surprised. And he said, well, you know, you were there when I was brought into hospital, and you took the dentures out of my, you put it on some table where there were all sorts of flashes on it and bottles on it, and then there's some 
drawer underneath. And there in this drawer you put your teeth. And it was exactly how it happened. And he told that he could see from above about his own CPR. He could describe the resuscitation room where he was brought into coma. He was taken out in coma. So he could describe the people's spell. So it was an objectivation of this veridical perception. And it's so important to have uh, just to verify these ver veridical perceptions. And uh, more and more uh, stories told about these kind of things, where doctors, nurses, or family members could tell that what patients said they saw really happened. And heard. Yeah, and heard. They, can, they, they don't hear with their ears, but they know what they said because they know what people think. They know the mm -hmm. thoughts. I mean, you tell things, then it, it starts with a thought. And even blind people can have uh, out-of-body experiences with theoretical perceptions because you don't perceive with your eyes. You have a 360 uh, view from above, out, out of the which is impossible for a current perception, but, but most people think, still think that you can see by your eyes, but people can perceive out and above the body, which is totally different. Linda? I just had, I just, it's not a question. I just wanted to say what this, what these studies, what these people um, have done for me and by people sharing their experience and by you writing about these experiences, what it's done for me is taken away my fear of dying. I'm not 100% there, but I would say I'm 85% there. And that is such a gift because um, that fear really is a is not a good one to have because it really impacts your life. So I am so thankful for all the people that have shared their experience uh, because it, it does, it it did so much for me uh, in not being afraid. It, it's the same for me as well. I'm, I'm not, let's say, 99% sure, but I'm, I'm very curious what, what will happen when I die. And it's important. I also will say that the idea, our ideas about death define how we live our life. If we think that death is the end of everything, then we give our energy toward uh, external things like uh, a beautiful house, uh, beautiful body, uh, money, beautiful car, instead of just giving our energy to what is really important about our interconnectedness with other people, with nature, with the planet Earth. So we have to change the way we live to, to also to save the, the planet for our children and grandchildren. Because when we continue like this, that it will be the end of, of, of planet Earth and the end of our of, of, of human beings. Mm -hmm. So I'm so happy that people with NDE are willing to share the NDE with others. The problem is that still so many people are afraid or, or to listen, especially physicians. Mm -hmm. Fred, go ahead. Your, oh, yeah, I'm just curious where you're taking your research next. I mean, if you have any... Uh, thoughts or progression, or um... no, I'm, I'm I'm not doing research anymore. The study we did we did in the Netherlands was a prospective study of 44 patients of heart cardiac arrest, and we did a longitudinal study with interviews two and eight years after the cardiac arrest of all patients who were still alive with NDE in the mesh control group of patients who survived cardiac arrest without an NDE to see to see if the transformation we talked about is the result of 
DND of the result of the cardiac arrest because it had never been studied in a prospective design before. And we found out that only people with ND have this transformation. So this study is, is about the cause and content of the ND and about the transformation. And I think and there have been studies done by Bruce Grayson in the US and by um, Sampania and Penny Sartori in, in the UK. I think uh, now about 562 survivors of cardiac arrest have been studied in a prospective, prospective way. And we know now for sure that consciousness uh, is still there when the body stops functioning, when the brain stops functioning. And that's an important aspect. And uh, so we have done the research. I think the study is done. But the, the, now the next step is that we talk about it and we mm -hmm. write about it and we go, I go to a lot of conferences. Uh, so I think it's important to share our insight with other people. Can and, we and read the your work? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah. And the challenge is also that because, the, let's say, the 200 most important scientists in the U.S. who are editors in the scientific journals, only 7% is religious or spiritual, and 93% is an atheist. They don't believe in these things. So it's hard to get these studies published as well. Mm -hmm. And the general population, more than 70% is religious and or spiritual in the U.S. Wow. Is it possible to read uh, or find the, the published research um, that you had in The Lancet? Is that online? or It is in, in my website. You can find uh, and download for free all the articles, like the Lancet article or the la latest article was in the Journal of Consciousness Studies about non-local consciousness. And it also have been published in, uh, in an article in the New York Academy for Sciences. So uh, you can download it for free from my website, which is www.consciousnessbeyondlife.com or www.pimvanlommel.nl. And you can go to the, 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 the English site. I have a, a Dutch, German, and English site on my website. Awesome. Dr. Van Lommel, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today. I'd like to thank you for writing this book and doing this research, most importantly about the before and after changes in belief. I think that's that's the part that gave me the most peace and comfort that that everyone else had experiences like mine and that this was normal, for lack of a better word. And I like that that we can all feel a little normal when we have an extraordinary experience. On behalf of Linda Franklin, Fred Lanzetta, Sandra Beck, this is Powered Up Talk Radio. Dr. Pim Van Lommel, check him out, Consciousness Beyond Life, the Science of the Near-Death Experience. Thank you for being with us on Powered Up Talk Radio. We hope you'll join us again. Find your purpose and discover that what you are capable of achieving is a glorious gift. Powered Up Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.